Health care is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Steve Watson, CFO, HR leader, and founder of Trendbreakers. Steve, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. All right. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do here on the show is challenge status quo purchasing and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to either lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. Sound like something you want to help with? I'm happy to help. All right. So to get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you, Steve, just so our audience has a little context about who they're listening to, and then we'll jump into it. So Steve Watson is an accomplished finance and human resources professional currently leading a large nonprofit in Arizona. In addition to being a CFO, a licensed chief human resources officer, and a licensed benefits broker, Steve Watson is the founder of Trendbreakers. Trendbreakers is a community of finance, human resources, and benefit advisor professionals that are on a mission to break the trend of rising employee health care costs. Trendbreakers allows Steve to pull back the curtain and arm CFOs, CHROs, and business owners with the knowledge and proven strategies that can make employee benefits work for them, as it has for his own company. All right, Steve, anything else you'd like to add to that? No, um, other than that, I just, I have a lot of kids and so I tend to use the healthcare system a lot. So I have a lot of personal experience with that. <laughs> All right. An experienced user. I love it. Yeah. Steve, you are not the typical person that we interview on this show because you are actually on the payer side. Yep. And so I'm excited to get a perspective from someone who sits in the decision maker for an employer. So tell us a little bit about your personal background and really how you came to acquire both a finance and human resources perspective. So I started this job, it's about a 500 employee company here in Arizona, almost 10 years ago. And I was asked to be the CFO. That's my background in finance. I'm a CPA. That's where my mind lands. And about a year into it, the HR director at the company decided to leave the company. And they looked at me and I said, you know, finance, HR, it's about the same thing. We'll just give you the HR department. I'm like, I don't know in what world those things are the same thing. <laughs> and it was supposed to be kind of on an interim basis, but I have a personality that does well in HR and we're a service type company. And so it aligns a lot with our major costs are employees. And I'm a person that if you give me something, I'm going to dive right into it. So I attended the next Angelstrom conference and then just decided to get licensed in HR. And that interim ask that they had me do now, 10 years later, I'm still doing them. All right. So, and that makes you truly a unicorn in yeah. the industry. <laughs> yeah. I literally have, you know, people walk in there and say, I want to just talk to the HR hat. I don't want your finance brain or I need your finance <laughs> brain. I want that one because they even recognize I have this little war going on in my head. I'm like, Finance guys like fire everybody. The other one's like, no, let's coach them and train them and do stuff. And yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so Steve, I want to dive into what you're doing to help drive change in the marketplace uh, with Trendbreakers. But before we go there, I want to take a step back and just talk about the healthcare system as a whole. I was looking online this morning and the Kaiser Family Foundation just released their 2019 Employer Health Benefits Survey. And one of the findings is that annual premiums for employer-sponsored family health coverage have now gone over $20,000 per year, uh, up 5% from 2018. 
And with workers on average paying about $6,000 towards the cost of their family coverage. That's it's really ridiculous, di- right? I mean, just, yeah, exactly. just stop right there. That's a price of a car, whether or not you use the system or not, that we're putting into this system. Like, it's just ridiculous. And that $6,000 is just for the privilege of having the right. insurance. It doesn't even include any of the out-of-pocket exposure that people are going to be exposed to. And a lot of companies these days, you know, the family deductibles, minimum $2,000. So I think that really underscores the enormity of our healthcare conundrum and the affordability crisis that we have. So tell us in your words, what do you think is wrong with our healthcare system and why do you think costs continue to increase at the pace that they do? For me is that we all look at it and we say, well, it's a messed up system that everybody's losing off of this and it's out of control and all this stuff. But we have to step back and realize that it's working really well for a lot of people. A lot of providers, hospitals, carriers, depending on how those incentives are lined up, they're doing extremely well off of this program as it keeps going up. Even brokers. I mean, we've gotten conversations about brokers that as premiums go up and commissions go up, everybody's going to do what's in their best interest. And so they're going to want to increase their market share, their stock prices, like everything. And so they're going to ride the system as long as they can. We've seen the results of it. Absolutely. It's a lot of misaligned incentives for sure. I think what got me started on trend breakers the most is then, okay, so you got the system that they're winning off of this stuff. And on my side, we're the ones writing the checks. So it's an employee, the employer, and I'm just a little embarrassed about our knowledge. Like we just don't know what we're doing. We don't know that much about the system. We just kind of accept what it is. As long as we're signing the check, it's just going to keep going like this. Yeah, I think that speaks to a big problem is that, you know, payers have really delegated the management of healthcare costs and that's led to some pretty poor results. So I think that's a good segue into what you did with your own company. I think on your website, you have a little story about how you partnered with your broker to address some of the high costs and really take control over your own destiny. So do you want to kind of go back to when you got there and talk to us about the process of understanding that you were kind of getting a bad deal and, and the action that you took? Sure. I mean, it started off with, you know, it was about a year or two into this job where I'm working right now and hadn't heard anything from my broker or from the carrier, show up to renewal time. And the broker says, okay, I have bad news for you. I'm like, well, that's not a good sign. And he comes in and says, well, you've had a large claim. It's over a million dollar claim and you have a 30% rate increase and nobody else wants to quote you. And we can't do anything about it other than push more costs to your employees or do something like 30%. I mean, that was hundreds and hundreds of dollars for every one of my employees that they don't get paid that much money for the work that we do. And the hundreds of thousands of dollars from my company that all of a sudden I got to go try and figure out what that's coming from. And it just ticked me off because I know everything about this company. I can negotiate wages, rent, like everything. But for some reason, this area of healthcare, I just didn't understand it. I didn't have any control over it. So even when I was sitting in that meeting, I started to think about <clears throat> how my broker is being paid. I remember looking at him and saying, I am not giving you a 30% raise just because I use the insurance because that's how the commissions were set up, that he was going to get this 30% raise. And he's like, no, I get it. I get it. But it just started to sink into me the the incentives that were in place. And so we changed his pay to a per employee per month pay there. I started to dive into this claim. And even from my perspective, like as an HR professional, I can't go to all my employees and say, okay, well, we're going to have a 30% rate increase this next year because Johnny got a tummy ache and had this million dollar claim and we're all paying for it. No, you can't say that, right? No, no. You know, you have to say, well, you know, claims are up and carriers up and just kind of like do that. But the reality is starting to sinking to me, like, why is it up? So it was a large claim. 
And so how do I manage those large claims? I started to dive in that claim and find out the employee wasn't even working at our company anymore. And when I started going back to the carriers and thinking about the carriers, I'm like, why are they increasing my costs moving forward when there's no risk? Like that employee's not there. Right. There's no ongoing claim. Right. But they're just like, this is how it works. I'm like, there has to be a better way. And so I started investigating more about getting out of fully insured, like looking at different plans where I clearly could look at that risk and say, we're not going to have that million dollar risk moving forward. So we started moving into self-funded plan. And then I started to see the gains from that. You know, all of a sudden we didn't have those big increases. Our, out of the last five years that I've had the self-funded plan, even that mentality of me changing from a one-year thing to a five-year thing was a big change. Because in those last five years, I've had two amazing years that my claims were half of what we expected and I got to keep that money. And then we've had yep. a couple of years that it was just like, eh, you know, it was about kind of what we expected. And then I had some really bad years where I had another million dollar claim hit. But the amazing thing, when you look back and you see it, like it all worked because as soon as that thing hit the stop loss, it all stopped. I didn't have to have the increases. And you look at my overall claims, I've taken a 20% decrease over what I had before. And it's just maintained that over the last five years. It's almost like I tasted this really amazing cake and I just want to share it. And I've seen too much now. <laughs> and kind of the last piece of the puzzle was, is I've had a small CFO consulting business on the side where I've helped small to mid-sized businesses. And I, I've done it for ENT doctors, for billing companies, for random companies. But there was an insurance broker who was starting up here in Arizona and he asked me to help him out. And so I got a peek behind the veil on the insurance broker. And he was really open and telling everything. And I was like, I started learning about bonuses and overrides and all these other kind of incentives there. And I just started thinking like if employers knew what I knew on my own plan, and if they knew what the brokers were dealing with and the good things and the bad things, they would just make better decisions. And just the fact that most CFOs, we don't talk with each other. Like we just yeah. kind of deal with our own world. We just deal with our one broker. Like if we just go out and share these things, but there was no place for me to do it. Like the only thing that I could find information was from people trying to sell it to me. So I just thought, well, maybe I'll create that. And that's what Trend Breakers is. It's just bringing employers together to share ideas and help replicate those ideas around the country. Love it. A couple of things I want to comment on. One, I love that you commented on the shift from looking at managing your costs from a single year perspective to a multi-year perspective. Very important. Very, very important. <laughs> Huge, huge. And I'd have to imagine you feel more empowered because you're in a place where you can actually impact the results and get data and understand what's happening. Whereas before, you probably didn't have the ability to have the same control and insight. Yeah, you didn't have any data. And like with that whole year, I had no idea I had a large claim going on. I had nothing. I had no idea how that was going to impact stuff. And what changed for me was that we all worry about that million dollar claim hitting and you know, it's going to hit every five years or whenever. We tend to forget about those two years that we just have no claim. I mean, think about your own personal health. There's been many years I haven't had any claims at all. Yep. But to be able to benefit from those things as an employer, and that's why personally I like, you know, you start getting like HSA plans where you can keep the money and HR goes out there and explains these plans. I say it's so good because you can keep the money. But yet as the employer, we don't have an HSA type plan where we get to keep the money during those good years. We get all worried and we're just worried about that one bad year. And so it's yeah. like, it's good for them, but not good for us. I'm like, okay, we got to balance that a little bit. And yeah. So before I dive into trend breakers, tell me what's been the benefit to the employees, right? Having your costs really been flat for the last five years, how have they benefited? It's amazing just to get compliments every year. I mean, a couple of things. We haven't had increases in many years to our employees. So they're mm -hmm. super excited that like every year it's like, I don't have an increase. They're like, I'm happy about that. We've been able to add better benefits. And so we have Mayo Clinic that's here local in, in Phoenix. We were able to add that plan for those that want to go to the Mayo Clinic. And so we've been able to increase our benefits. For my HR staff, we actually stopped doing 
doing open enrollments, like the live and all the meetings, because there really wasn't anything to explain. It's like, we're on the same type of plan. It's the same type of cost. And so the level of administrative burden for my HR teams went way down. We weren't switching carriers every year. We weren't trying to change deductibles and all that stuff. They would just roll it over. People wanted to change their plans. They did. And then we just move on. And it's just, it makes it a whole lot easier to run a plan like that. Yeah. Do you think it's impacted your recruitment and retention efforts? I don't know. It's hard to say nowadays because yeah. recruiting retention is like everything nowadays because yeah. with unemployment so low, everybody really enjoys our benefits here. And so it's one of the things that they like. So Awesome. All right. So let's get into trend breakers. So you kind of saw an opportunity to provide some education to your peers in the marketplace, which is great. I think that's needed on many levels. So how does it work? You know, how are you proposing to help other HR, finance and business leaders out there? The initial way that I help is I created a social media group. So I have a Facebook group and a LinkedIn group where it's just employers, like no brokers, no carriers, no vendors in there that can come in. So we have 200 plus employers in there sharing ideas and asking questions. We do videos. I actually bring people in there to like expert calls to kind of talk about it and then gets the conversation going between us. I've started to do, it's what's interesting is like pulling data I can find off of 5,500 reports and stuff to help employers. And so I'll share that information with them, kind of give them a free benchmark report compared to people in their area, compared to people in the country, people in their industry. And so a lot of CFOs really enjoy that report just to be able to see how their plan stacks up against other plans. Mm-hmm. And then what I do personally is those that want to engage with me actually tacked on a consulting type of part. If they want to implement, like kind of replicate what I've done, I'm more than willing to share everything for free with everybody like this is everything that i do this is a plan and stuff but sometimes you just want somebody to walk along with you especially when they're looking for a new broker that's when they find a lot of value having somebody like me it's almost like going car shopping and you're taking that friend along with you just to make sure that you're getting the right deal stuff and so i consult with companies to do that and so i I don't go with them to the meetings but they'll email me and say the guy's saying this and i'm like well why don't you ask him that or this may be right this may be wrong and yeah it's just really empowering to them to like have somebody that's been through the process and help them out with them. I love it. Raising the uh, knowledge and expertise about how to go through that procurement process. As far as getting together with the group, I mean, how often are you guys getting together? I assume it's a wide variety of topics that you guys cover. Yeah, so right now, every Friday, we have a call that we go on there. Everybody's willing to get on there. And then I have a group, like a social media group. So people are just posting in there and doing Mm -hmm. it. This is new to me. I mean, I just started it this year. And so we're just kind of feeling it out and been really pushing to try and get more and more people into that. So I probably have 10 employers every week that's joining that group. And we're just trying to ask that group, like, what do they want out of this? Like, what's the best thing for it? And, And most employers, especially CFOs, they get really active for about a month or two, and then they don't want to deal with it the rest of the year. It's like, I just want to make sure that I know what I'm doing. I get the right partners put in place. And then I'll move on to the next projects. And so we just want to be there when they're ready to get in there and talk about it. And then HR tends to be in there a lot more yeah, because they're dealing with a lot more. And so they'll ask a lot more questions and stay more engaged throughout the year. Whatever is helpful. You know, eventually I just want to have this place where people can just go to and just get what information they want, like whatever questions, answers yeah. and stuff. And that's my vision of trend breakers. I love it. I saw that on your website, you have a broker scorecard and I'm a broker consultant myself. And there's actually a lot of brokers and consultants who listen to this podcast. And can you tell us what some of the key things that an employer should be considering when they are choosing a broker consultant? 
I think that everybody goes more on the service side. And so on that broker scorecard, I didn't go into that area as much because everybody can kind of figure out what's good service for them or what do they need and stuff. And that tends to be where everybody looks for. I really wanted to bring out things like transparency. Like, do you actually know how much your broker is getting paid? And not that they shouldn't get paid very well for what they're doing, but at least it's hard to measure value if you don't know the price of it. That's right. And so you got to be able to take price and service, put those things together. And then you can say, are you getting a good deal or not good deal? And so transparency is a really big one on there. Yeah. Accountability, I think is a big one that all of us need to own. Like I don't put it just on brokers, but on CFOs and HR professionals that it's going up. And, you know, if there's any other piece of our business that was that out of control, that sales were dropping by 5% every year or costs were going up at 5% every year, you would be fired. I mean, you might get a year, you might get two years, but then you're out. That's right. But for benefits, like none of us have any accountability for this thing. And so I think we all need to step up to the table and say, I'm going to own this process. I'm going to help you drive this process. And if I don't do it, go find somebody else that can do it. And I think a lot of us as employers, we feel like we're doing what we can because we bring in an expert. You know, most of the things I negotiate, I don't have an expert with me. I'm just doing it by myself. But things like taxes, I bring in an expert. Insurance, I bring in an expert. And I trust them. And I could go off a lot of this, but then we get what we get. And so I think we have to kind of own this a little bit. And I think a lot of us just kind of push it off and say, well, it's a nationwide thing, or there's not much I can do about it, or I'm giving you really good service. I'm giving you the best things. But then you start diving into it and you start learning like, well, they're just offering you. I, I don't know. I think you're hitting on a really important point. I think there hasn't been a lot of accountability. And I think the brokerage and consulting marketplace has been allowed to deliver poor results and sort of blame the marketplace. But I think we're in a different place today than maybe we were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think there is way more knowledge about what the actual problem is. You way know, more knowledge and way more solutions I never realized there are out there. There's so many things to do. I get so excited about doing them. And then I go talk to employers and like, well, I never heard about that. I never heard about that. I never heard about it. I'm like, why didn't you hear about that? And it's because their broker's not showing them or their broker's not incentivized to show or, or I don't know. But they have not heard about these solutions. And that's frustrating to me of like, yeah. there is a lot of help. Just what I've done. I'm, I'm a 500 employee group here in Arizona. I didn't do nothing special. These things have been around for a long time. I just did it. There's many other companies doing it. So if you have more than 200 employees and you're not doing these things, that's kind of on you. I mean, you really, as a CFO, need to like step up the table or HR and like learn a little bit about this area and make better decisions. And if you're a broker and you're not bringing these solutions to your clients, shame on you a little bit. I mean, I get a little fired up a little bit. No, no, and I love it. And I want you to get fired up. (laughs) And I want to be careful here because people are like, well, I just deal with small group. That's fine. You know, if you're under 50 employees, even under 100 employees in some areas, there's just not a lot that you can do. I mean, there's not a lot of different solutions you can have there. But I see too many people that are in a small group. They specialize in small group. That's their knowledge. That's their expertise. And then they have that one client that just exploded in growth. My kid's charter school here in Arizona started at a really small company, had like 30 employees, had a small group broker they jumped to a thousand employees within like three years. But then when I went and talked to the CFO, when we were looking at his plant, he was still kind of on a small group plan, fully insured, Terrible. had a broker's broker involved with them and like everything. And I'm like, man, a thousand employees, there's so much money. You could be say like hundreds of thousands of dollars that my teachers for my kids are paying extra because you as a CFO haven't figured out that you're dealing with a small group broker. And, and so as a CFO, I have never taken a company public. I have no idea how to do that. I don't know that thing. And so sometimes if my company starts exploding in growth, I need to recognize and be held accountable like that. You need to bring in somebody else to help out. 
Yeah. When I talk to brokers, I always like, I can do everything. I can do like specialized. Like I do small groups. This is what I do. I do them extremely well. Or I do mid-sized groups or I do large groups or I do whatever. Like, Yeah. But I think the accountability piece is uh, key, but I think it's important on both sides of the table. Yes. And I think for a long time, there's been a lack of accountability on the employer side. To a certain extent, inertia right? Even when options are presented. And that's what uh, I love about this Trendbreakers group, because it's a lot easier for me to call out a CFO than for like you as a broker to call out a CFO. And easy for me to go up to them and say, well, look, we really don't know what we're doing, do we? And they're like, oh no, I have no idea what they're saying. They're saying all these words. I don't really get it. But yet in the meeting with you, they'll be like, they don't want to look stupid. And so they're just kind of like rolling with it and doing it. And so the, most of the conversations I have with CFOs is they don't understand what you guys are talking about. They have no idea what self-funding looks like. They understand, they just hear risks. They hear, I mean, even those words, I mean, just the words that we use are so important. So if I use the word fully insured, it sounds comforting. It sounds safe. It sounds like I'm protected and use the word like self-funding. It's like, I'm throwing you off the cliff, like good luck with it. (laughs) It's not true. I mean, there's like self-funding products that are more like to me, more safe than fully insured plan. Those words mean things. And so I tend to use things like I say carrier-based plan because it's based off of their incentives versus employer-based plan. Like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get that and get my head around that. And yeah. Because honestly, nobody's, I have not met a company that's completely self-funded that has no stop loss, has nothing out there. I mean, I'm, right. you know, so everybody has some insurance and then even fully insured, we all have deductibles, co-pays, all this stuff that we're all paying a piece of it anyway. So you're not completely fully insured. We're just on the spectrum there. So Yeah, that's a good point that probably some of us should take to heart is the language that we use when we're trying to educate and motivate for change is important. Well, and the words that you use with carriers, like, look, I get that they say self-funding. That's how you have to address it with them. But when you go talk to an employer, you just have to explain it to them, like use better words. Like I would highly recommend dumbing it down really low. And you're going to sound like you're stupid. These are things you've been doing for 10 years. You understand all that stuff, but that CFO's never heard of this before. And just like you as a broker, it took you a while to figure out those things. It took you a while to understand mm-hmm. those things. It takes time to do that. And if you don't take time to educate employees, you're never going to break through it. Yeah. So I guess that brings me to another question here is, and this is the notion of the difficulty of change, right? The challenge of inertia and how even when you've gone to great extents to kind of explain that traditional methods of insurance and healthcare purchasing don't work, sometimes getting that buy-in from the HR, the CFO office can be difficult. So other than the language, as a CFO, can you share some insight on why you think change is so hard? couple of reasons. One is like, this is a decision that takes multiple people to sign off on. Like, even if you just get me on board as a CFO, there's things that I've wanted to implement in my own company that I'm fully on board about doing, but the ownership group here isn't there yet. Or, you know, something that my HR leader is not on board with. And so you may be talking to me and like, oh, they're on board, they're all educated. But then I have to internally within meetings that you're not a part of, go sell this or go talk to these other people about. So not only do you need to get me educated, you need to help me educate other people because you're not going to get in those meetings. You can't have this big meeting with everybody present there. It's got to be me selling inside of my own company. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's really easy for me to make a decision of something that just affects just me or just my department. Benefits touches every single employee, every single spouse, every single kid. And I've had multiple calls over the years where the CEO's wife is standing in the pharmacy and can't get their prescriptions. And he's calling me. He's like, what gives? You don't want those calls. Like that's absolutely the worst call to get. 
So even if you're able to save 5% or 10%, just avoid getting that call, you know? <laughs> so there's this risk level, like an internal risk of like me keeping my job and keeping stable stuff. And so what I've found to get over that is it takes more than just you as a vendor, because we're not going to trust you. I mean, you're selling this, you're going to get benefited by doing it. It takes me meeting with other people that have already done this, other CFOs, other HR professionals. Like it's got to get to the point that everybody else is in the pool. They say it's all good. I just need to jump in, but I don't want to be the first one in the pool. And so that speaks to sort of, you know, building confidence, right? And so I think your point is that being able to talk with other folks that have done it will help build that confidence. Yeah, as so far I as talked you know. to a local broker here and he was asking ideas and what they do. I'm like, just bring all your clients in to a client meeting once a quarter or once a month and just talk about these things. So, I mean, you could talk about what is level funding and have a client get up there and talk about they're on a level funded plan, they can talk about it and then talk about self-funding or talk about whatever it is, but get off the stage, get one of your clients up there talking about it, get five to 10 other clients in there and then bring your prospect into that meeting. And then they're just talking one with another. And then they feel like they're the outcasts that all these other 10 are doing this and they're the only ones not doing it. And when they want to implement it, they'll just come to you and say, well, look, you did it for Johnny, you did it for Sam, you did it for all the other people, let me do it. But I think too often brokers want to be the hero of the story. They want to bring this good idea. They want to show up. They want to like expound on it. And people will just kind of look at them, clap and say, that's good. And then they leave. Like it takes peers in there. It takes more stories. It takes putting us in that group that's going to make the change happen. Yeah. Well, and that's why I really appreciate and I like what you're doing, you know, trying to raise the knowledge and expertise within your peer group. What happens for me is that I get to that point of like, I'm just the group. I'm not selling insurance. I'm not doing this stuff, but it takes me connecting with folks like you and other people. It's like, okay, now that I want to do this, now that I want to implement a a plan like Steve does, and I'm sitting in Southern California or Tennessee or something, then I'm going with them to help find people that out there that can do it. And Mm -hmm. so just the more that I can network, the more that we can bring everybody together, the better. Yeah. One of the things we oftentimes hear from HR leaders when change is proposed, right? You know, one of the key things they worry about is disruption and how that can be an obstacle to change. So what would you say to an HR leader who needs to get the other business leaders in the organization on board who's worried about disruption? I would try and change as much as you can without impacting employees. And so what people don't realize is that, you know, a Blue Cross plan or United Healthcare plan, they have many, many different options inside of them. You can go from fully insured carrier based plan all the way to a, a bundled self-funded plan there. Those decisions don't impact employees. And so that's what I ended up doing when I first started was we put a plan in place to our employees on the back end. We've been making all these changes, we've been messing with stop losses, with admin fees, with stuff like that. But the employees are like, oh, I'm just on a Blue Cross plan. I just have this deductible at the same cost. So there's many things you can do on the back end. You may have to do that first initial jump to a carrier that has all these different options, but then lock into somebody you can stay with three to five years. So what are the changes you're going to be making? Make sure that they have enough room. And then I'm to a point now that I've kind of squeezed out everything that I could find within that plan that I'm in. So I need to make this next jump, but it's bigger because now I'm trying to unbundle, have my own TPA, have my own stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that's where ownership gets a little hesitant of like, oh, are we ready for this? Are we not ready for this? And what is it worth? And yeah. Well, most I, of me are like five-year jumps. I mean, unless there's something driving your industry that you have to have this money, like I would say three to five years, you kind of pick the plan, work that plan, and then you'll do the next jump. Yeah. I think that's a great approach to share with the peer group is having a three to five-year plan and making incremental progress over time is kind of a desirable way to approach it. Yeah. And it's been helpful for me to know that, you know, maybe there's 10 steps and I may be on step three. And, but the more I learn about steps four, five, six, seven, the more that I get to know employers in those steps, 
it makes going from four to five that much easier and five to six. I don't have to jump to plan eight. Like if you just take one step, you're going to save money and things are going to be better, but you got to take at least one step. Yep, absolutely. So Steve, tell us, what are you most excited about right now with your own benefit program and with uh, Trendbreakers? With my own benefit plan, I'm excited about taking this next step. I've heard I don't have an unbundled separate plan. I've not done that. Where I've been limited is in pharmacy. I can't do what I want to do within my pharmacy plan with Blue Cross that I'm with right now. And so I'm excited about taking that next step just for my learning to be able to share that story with people, to learn from others and do things. And so that's what I'm working on personally. And I really think, again, I've squeezed out everything I can within my current plan. And so I'm excited for that next level of savings personally. Cool. For employers, you know, I don't know if you saw that movie, The Matrix, when they take the blue pill, the red pill. I love that moment, that moment when they don't know anything and then you just add a little bit of knowledge and it starts opening up and they're like, wow, like I didn't realize I could push back. I didn't realize that I had the ability to negotiate broker compensation. I didn't realize I had the option to like do these different things. I love that. And so the more people that I get in there, the more that I'm able to share information. And I really like it when I'm not the one doing it, when employers start talking to each other and sharing, sharing ideas. I've been asked to speak at the annual SHRM conference. So it's a, if it happens with coronavirus and stuff, but yeah, I mean, that's 20,000 HR professionals that I get to get up on the stage twice to talk about this. I'm super excited about that and just kind of spreading this message and sharing it. It resonates. I mean, like I said, I have about 10 people every week joining this group and it's fun. It's been a lot of fun for this CFO that just stares at spreadsheets to do a little marketing and sales and you know get things out there. Yeah, I love it. So Steve, I think we covered a decent amount here. If there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? I don't know. I thought it was really good. Like when I'm going to come by next and like talk about the rest of the story. (laughs) Um, I think the one area that we haven't touched on today would be how do you get CFOs and HR professionals to talk with one another? They're very different. And again, I bridge those two worlds. And so I get asked a lot to go into HR associations and talk about CFOs and how can they connect better? Or I go into insurance conferences and ask how they can connect with CFOs. So I, I tend to be this bridge between the two of them. But the thing you have to realize is that one is that hierarchy matters. And so Mm -hmm. there's a very different approach to if the HR person reports to the CFO or whether they're peers. And you need to address that differently Mm -hmm. because sometimes the CFO is very involved or sometimes if that HR professional is reporting directly to the CEO, that CFO may just do the accounting. They may not even really be that involved in that decision. So you may be going after that CFO and they just don't really even get into those discussions. Right. Right. So that's important to know. And then those two areas speak a very different language and they attack problems in a very different way. And so if you're just talking to the CFO, you still have to get HR's buy-in. And just because you have the CFO doesn't mean you're going to get that next prospect to be a client of yours. But that CFO is going to have a really hard time trying to pitch this to their HR professional because of the way that they attack it and what they think is important because they're going to talk about the money and all this stuff. And HR is like, I don't care. I just don't want the CEO's wife calling me. I got to deal with all the eligibility files. I got to deal with all the, the stuff, I, the service side of this stuff or vice versa. You know, you might be really big into the service side and then you're expecting that HR professional to go talk to the CFO and they're going to talk about all the stuff that's important to them in HR and the CFO is just going to blow them off. And so you're going to have to get really good at not only kind of selling, educating that person you're talking with, but then helping them speak the language of the other person so you can get them on board as well. Yeah. No, I think that's key is helping build a bridge between the two perspectives. Yeah. And make it a win for them. I'm saying, look, HR professional, you have all this money, you're going to do all the savings, we'll help you reinvest. Okay. Now let's sit on the same side of the table. How are we going to present this to your CFO? Let's work on that. And what you may think is important. I've met with a bunch of CFOs. This is what they like to see. And so let's kind of build that case study for them. 
Yep. Love it. Steve, how can people interested in Trendbreakers learn more about it? So everything's Trendbreakers. And so you can go to my website, it's trendbreakers.com. You can get on LinkedIn and just look up Trendbreakers or on Facebook. I'm most active on LinkedIn. So you can just send me messages there or you'll see my posts on LinkedIn. And if you are an employer, CFO, CEO, HR professional, love to have you join that group and interact with us. If you're a broker and you just want to connect more with me, because I am looking for people in all areas of the country to be able to help these employers connect with, I'd love to just connect with you. So reach out to me. All right, cool. Well, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you for joining us today. I think it's been a great discussion and certainly I appreciated getting your perspective as a purchaser and someone who does kind of bridge the two gaps between the finance and the HR world. And you know, I think that's something that probably our industry needs to do a better job of is helping to educate both sides and facilitate change because you can have all the knowledge and expertise in the world. But at the end of the day, if we're not changing, we're not making progress. Awesome. All right. To our listeners, hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Trendbreaker's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content we're bringing to you on the show. Let us know what you think with a review. It's super easy and takes five seconds. Just open up the podcast app on your phone, go to our show's page, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and let us know what you think with a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.